All right. Well, if you will turn in a copy of God's Word to uh, Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1187. Let's uh, pray and ask God to bless the reading of His Word. Father, we are thankful for Your Word. Increase our thankfulness. We pray that, Father, by Your Holy Spirit, You'd move through the public reading of Your Word and the preaching of it, um, that You would change us, make us more like Your Son. For those who know You, that we might grow closer to You. For those who don't know You, that this might be the day of their salvation. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Acts chapter 24, verse 1. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than twelve days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogue or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. Now, After several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple, without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council, other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. All right, if you've checked out, check back in for this little part. Verse 24. After some days, Felix came down with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Let's pray. So, Father, now as we turn uh, our attention to the preaching of your word, uh, we ask that you would help us. I pray that you give unction and anointing to the preacher and hearer alike. In the name of Christ, we ask it. Amen. Truth be told, I'm more of a procrastinator than I'd like to admit. In fact, I think I'll wait to admit it. Doesn't seem quite the right time. When it comes to procrastination, all things are not created equal, are they? It is one thing to procrastinate with uh, perhaps making up your bed in the morning. It's a good thing to do, but it's different when you procrastinate paying the credit card bill. Uh, One will earn you the look of a loved one. The other one will earn you interest and a late payment. You know, there is this particular kind of procrastination that is dangerous especially, and that's what I'd like to call spiritual procrastination. Spiritual procrastination, and in our text this morning, we will look at two different ways. The first is that which an unbeliever does in surrendering to Christ. That is, putting off, coming to Jesus in salvation. Perhaps it is until it is too late. Uh, We see this with Felix at the end of our text. God does not guarantee that unbelievers will have many, many more opportunities to become a Christian. And in fact, the text ends with Felix having heard the gospel for two years And he still is removed for being too brutal. He did not become a believer. The second kind of procrastination is inferred from our text. And it's the one that believers struggle with. And that is of procrastinating over our own spiritual growth. Procrastinating or not putting it as a priority of seeking the Lord and growing in His grace. Both of these things are dangerous uh, for different reasons, which we're going to get into this morning. So we're going to split our time this morning half and half or so. The first half we'll look at what happens with this trial of Paul, and then we'll apply the last bit to procrastination. Let's look at verses 1 through 21, and here we find uh, the tail end of Paul's or the next chapter in Paul's life as a prisoner. You'll remember that Paul last week had been escorted by 470 soldiers, half of the command of the cohort, half of the garrison in all of Jerusalem. He was a dangerous man with a dangerous message, or so the Jews thought. 470 soldiers escorted him to Caesarea, where he would stand trial before Felix. And Felix, when Paul gets there, says that when his accusers come, he will hear his case. Now, of all the people in our text, the one group of people who do not procrastinate are the, uh, the Jews. For five days after Paul arrives, they arrive with a whole delegation with a hired spokesman, a hired gun, as it were, in order to argue their case before Felix. Five days might seem like they delayed, but they didn't. This was not too close to Jerusalem, I think about 45 miles. And the days before good transportation, they hightailed it there. They, they did not like Paul, and they wanted him straight up dead. Well, the Jewish leadership, they had hired Tertullus. We don't know much about Tertullus except that he is a liar. Uh, He's a liar and a hired gun. He is a lawyer, an advocate, whom they hired to argue their case before the governor, Felix. Now, why do we say he is a liar? Well, it's because this guy, Felix, was a really, really bad dude. Okay, Have you seen this new series, um, The Book of Boba Fett? Has anybody seen this? Raise your hand, because I'll tell the story. Well, we got a few. Okay, you know the part where you've got the guy with the two tail heads and he's, he just talks a lot and says really nice things to bad people and he pretends like they're good people? Well, that's what happens here. 
Felix, in fact, he was so brutal that Nero, you remember Nero? Uh, he's the one who would behead Paul. He was a terribly brutal dictator. He did awful things. I won't mention with the children here. He thought Felix was too brutal and actually removed him from office. That's how bad Felix was. There was no peace in the land. In fact, Felix liked to crucify not just the guilty, but also the innocent, just to get uh, the, his point across. And so here is Tertullus saying all these nice things about this, this man before whom he argues, and none of them are true. So Tertullus is going to present three charges against Paul, and Paul is going to answer each one of them, and very quickly we'll deal with these. The first is that Paul was a pest or a plague, or more specifically, he was a seditious rioter. He was someone who was stirring up trouble, not just in Jerusalem, but all over the Roman world. Now, of all the charges that are brought against Paul uh, in our text, this is the one that could really get him in trouble. This is the one that if he were found guilty of, that they would execute him for. They might hand him over to the Jews or the Romans just might take him out back and take care of Paul right then and there. But what does Paul say? Well, in verse 12 we say, we, we, we read there, that they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogue or in the city. You know, if Paul had been seeking to cause trouble in Jerusalem, he sure did a bad job of it. He wasn't going around uh, seeking to stir up trouble. He had instead gone to Jerusalem to take alms and to worship. In fact, it had only been 12 days. He'd only, he was only in Jerusalem for about a week, and he had not caused trouble there. See, in both Jewish and Roman law, there had to be witnesses to a crime, and there were no witnesses who could say that Paul had caused a lot of trouble. You kind of feel bad for Tertullus, because he doesn't have a good case to argue. The second, though, is that he was a ringleader of the Nazarenes, a ringleader of the Nazarenes. Now, it's important to know what was going on there, because Tertullus is really eager to brand Christianity as a sect. Now, why would he do that? Well, it's because under Roman law, the Jews uh, enjoyed a very special privilege. No other religion in the ancient world had the right to worship like they wanted to, if it infringed on what the Romans did. The Jews, however, did. They did not have to accept the pagan Roman religions. They were a protected religion, the only protected religion in the Roman Empire. And so they got to have their own temple, their own authorities, their own law. Uh, they, they were exempted from some things within the Roman Empire and in the law of the Romans. And so what Tertullus is trying to do is say that, look, this is a sect. It's not Judaism. And he does therefore not enjoy the protections under Roman law. What does Paul say? Well, Paul says in verse 14, But I confess to you that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. What does he do? He says, this isn't anything new. In fact, this is just a continuation of the Old Testament. I believe everything in the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, a common way of referring to the Old Testament. And who does he worship? Whom does he worship? He worships the God of our fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, finally, the last accusation that Tertullus brings against Paul is that he profaned the temple. They're referring to what happened uh, when this riot began in the temple courts, when some Jews from Asia thought that Paul, either they made this up or they thought it actually, that Paul had brought in a man named Trophimus, or Trophimus, who was a Gentile into the temple, which was forbidden, and it was actually forbidden by death. Um, but he had not done so. And these men who thought he had done this were not there to bring their accusation against Paul. 
All right, so what's going on here? We've just run through 21 verses very quickly in order to get to some meat I want to talk about. But what, what is the application that we can learn from this? And it's quite simply that Satan plays dirty. So that Satan plays dirty. We've talked about that a lot in Acts. The Jews and Tertullus had no argument here. And they knew it. And yet they were still able to partially achieve their purpose, their goal. They weren't able to get Paul turned over to them or get him killed at this point, but he will be imprisoned. And he will stay in Caesarea for two years. You think about two years. That's when COVID started. Isn't that right? 21. Yeah, that's when COVID started. Two years. That seems like a long time, doesn't it? Can you imagine spending that time under house arrest? Well, we actually did for a while, didn't we? For two years, he's held in house arrest, and then he will be shipped over to Rome, where he will spend more time in a really bad Roman prison. So they were able, in some ways, to achieve what they wanted, and that was by playing dirty. You know, as a Christian, you will face opposition in life in different ways. At school, no matter if you're in elementary school, or middle school, or high school, or in college, or in the workplace, at the ball field, and sometimes in your homes and in your families. And oftentimes the opposition will just play dirty. But here's the important thing that we remember. That God calls us not to re- respond in kind. Paul had all sorts of opportunities to lay all sorts of charges against the Jews here, and he didn't. He could have made up stuff just like they were making up about him. But there's a really key verse here in verse 16. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward toward both God and man. We want to be able to walk through whatever comes at us with a clear conscience. Well, the end of the trial comes, and instead of rendering a verdict, we find the first procrastination. Felix procrastinates. Verse 22, But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. There's no evidence that Lysias was ever um, uh, summoned or that he came. And even if he did, uh, Felix still didn't um, render decision in the case. He just kept putting them off. Which takes us to the last part of the text. And now we're going to shift gears and talk about the dangers of spiritual procrastination. The dangers of spiritual procrastination. And the first kind we want to talk about is that of the unbeliever who does not come to faith in Christ but thinks, ah, I'll deal with that later or if at all. See, Felix will bring his wife, Drusilla. Now, she's Jewish, actually. But she's Jewish according to ethnicity only, not by religion. How do we know that? Well, uh, this is her, uh, this is Felix's third marriage and Drusilla's second, and she's now married an evil Gentile, right? She's not a, a religious person, if we want to put it that way. In fact, Felix had convinced Drusilla to leave her last husband in order to marry him. She doesn't actually, she doesn't really have a, a track record of righteousness. And over the next two years, they will routinely send Paul, send to Paul and hear him. But it all begins when they go and they see him and they have this conversation which is recorded here and what they talked about. They talked about four things and the first is faith in Christ. Paul spoke to them about the answer. Everything else he's going to talk about. 
And the things, the convicting words he's going to say as he talks about the next three things, he begins by faith in Christ. What is required for salvation? You can't earn your salvation. You can't be good enough. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't make God love you. He loves you. That's why He sent His Son. And if you have faith in what He did in the empty tomb, repenting of your sins, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. And He presented Christ and Christ crucified. He did not waver. He did not quiver. He didn't change His tune. He preached Christ. But then we find these three other things He talked about. The first is that He spoke of righteousness. Certainly the righteousness is required by God in the law. Now think about to whom he speaks. This is Felix, and Felix is an unjust judge who neither fears God nor respects man. And what does he talk about? (laughs) Righteousness. The very thing that Felix does not uphold and has none in his life. The second thing he talks about is self-control. You know, when you go to Thanksgiving dinner, what are the two things you're not supposed to talk about? Religion and politics, right? Why is that? I'm not saying that's actually what you're not supposed to do, but that's what our culture says. Because somebody at the table is going to disagree with you, and soon you're no longer talking about the turkey, but saying, telling somebody other that they're the turkey. right? I mean, all of a sudden you're not dealing with the fact that you're having a joyful time, but you're about to take it out in the backyard and take it to fisticuffs, right? What does Paul do? To the very person who has exhibited absolutely no self-control, three wives now, right? And he just kills folks willy-nilly for the fun of it. He starts talking about self-control. That's a bold man. That's a man who is true to his calling. But the third thing, though, that he talks about after talking about faith in Christ is a thing that causes Felix to be terrified. The ESV says he was greatly alarmed or he was alarmed. The the better translation is that he was terrified. This was a man who was fearful. And what made him so afraid? Paul preached on the coming judgment. Throughout our time together, every song we've sung, even the special uh, during the offertory, uh, has talked about the second coming. And it is central to the Christian's life. And for the Christian, it is is an amazing time, a joyful time, a day of vindication. But Paul was speaking about the fact that one day everybody will stand before the throne of God and answer for what he or she has done. Everyone, bar none. Now, if we're in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Christian has nothing to fear from the day of judgment. In fact, this is how we are judged on the basis of works for rewards, not for our salvation. Christ has taken care of our salvation. We look forward to that day, that day of vindication, the acknowledgement of the sons of God. But for an unbeliever, it should scare the pants off of you. And that's what it does here. One day this world will end. And everyone will stand before Christ. You know, when we say in the Apostles' Creed, He comes to judge the quick and the dead, you know, that's not referring to the people who can run fast. You know, the the quick people aren't the lively ones. They're the ones who are alive. So if you're alive when Christ comes back, He will judge you. And if you're dead, He will judge you. Already in verse 15, we've learned that both the righteous and the unrighteous, the just and the unjust, will get their bodies back. Did you know that? That when we speak of the, revel- of the resurrection, there's actually what we call the general resurrection. That it's not just believers who get their bodies back, but it's also unbelievers. There are only about three texts in Scripture that talk about it. We don't have a lot of details of what this looks like. 
Believers, we will get our bodies back from the graves, remade, perfected, and glorified. And that's going to be awesome. We're not told a lot about what's going to happen for those who don't know the Lord. But they too will get their bodies back in some form or fashion. And will stand before the judgment. And they'll be cast into hell forever. And that's what you and I deserve. I personally deserve it as, a pa- as your pastor. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve. And that's what Felix deserved. And you know, it's interesting. He understood it. That's what's scary here. He understood it. And then what did he do? He sent Paul away. He procrastinates. He puts it off. Now, Paul's already told him the answer. Paul's already told him the good news of the gospel. That if you put your faith in Christ Jesus, you have nothing to fear from the day of judgment. That Christ takes all of your sin and He forgives you. Praise be to God. But instead of doing business with God, instead of repenting and submitting the knee, can you imagine the impact it would have had on Judea if Felix had become a Christian that day? But instead, he hardens his heart. He procrastinates. He refuses to deal with it. My friends, that is a dangerous thing. It is a dangerous thing to procrastinate with surrendering yourself to Jesus. What, had, what should have Felix done here? Psalm 95 is quoted three times in Hebrews. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. What did he do? He hardened his heart. See, every time someone who doesn't know the Lord hears the gospel, it'll do one of two things. It, is, it always achieves a purpose. It'll either draw them closer to Christ or drive them further away. And it is dangerous to hear the gospel time and time again and never respond. Why is that? Well, one, God does not guarantee that you will live to hear it again. Straight up. You're not guaranteed to live past the next few minutes. The second thing is because sometimes the conviction that you begin to feel when you hear the gospel, God doesn't promise that you'll feel that again. In fact, the more you hear something, the more callous you get to it. R.C. Sproul says this. He says that uh, when people hear the gospel and don't respond, it calluses their conscience. I have a callus right here on my, my finger right where my ring hits when I close my hand. Right? And so I don't really feel anything right there. Or when I used to play the guitar a lot, I would have you know, calluses on my fingers, and so you didn't have a whole lot of feeling right there on the tips. And that's what happens to our heart. When we hear the gospel time and time again, or we hear what we are to do, to render under God, surrendering unto Him. And if you don't surrender to Him and continue not to surrender to Him, it's likely that it will stop bothering you. That might be the most dangerous place to be in this world. Well, why? The third thing is that God may remove you from hearing the gospel. Think about this. This is exactly what happens with Felix. For the next two years, for the next two years, Felix is going to hear the gospel from Paul, from whom? The most fruitful evangelist in all of history. Right? Time and time again he hears the gospel, and he never repents. How do we know that? Because two years later, Nero will remove him from office for being too brutal. Talk about the kettle pot calling the kettle black, or vice versa, right? Why? 
Finally, why is there a danger in procrastinating with surrendering to Jesus in faith and repentance? Because we don't know the day and time of the coming judgment. You know, sometimes I'm surprised by my bills. I really shouldn't be, right? They come every month. And the utility bill, it comes same time every month. My credit card bills do the 28th of every month. My mortgage comes out of my bank account on the 6th or 7th of every month, right? I'm surprised by these things sometimes, but I shouldn't be. Don't be surprised by the coming, second coming of Christ, though. We don't know when it will be. In fact, it will come like a thief in the night. A thief in the night is not expected. It will be a great day for believers. I'm praying that it will be today. In fact, we've prayed that several times already in in our time together. But that's for the unbelievers. And my friends, if, if you're an unbeliever, if you don't know Jesus, or if you wonder if you are, if you've been a member of this church for decades, come see me. Let's talk. Those are the kind of conversations that get preachers out of bed in the morning. Right? Don't be ashamed. Come, let's chat. I would love to talk to you about that. But for the believers, there's an inference here. It's not directly from our text. But how do we apply this, this theme of spiritual procrastination to our lives. Because we do it too. Don't you? What do I mean by that? I mean by thinking that we can put off seeking to grow deeper in Christ, putting off our spiritual maturity, putting off dealing with some sin, not doing business with God and others when we know we should. You know, I'm always amazed at the power of little things done over a long period of time. I have a black thumb, two of them actually, and you know, but every year we plant a garden and it's amazing. You plant small, itty bitty little seeds. And as the months grow, what do you get? You get plants that give you food. It's amazing how this thing works. My favorite though is sweet potatoes. We still hadn't planted our sweet potatoes, by the way. Might be too late. But I love these things. These, you know, we usually harvest them about September or so. And you don't see the growth of the tubers. You don't see the growth of the sweet potatoes. You see the, the vines. You see the, you know, the plants going this way and that and along, among all the weeds. And, uh, but you don't see the tuber. You don't see the actual sweet potato until it's time to harvest. Now, the whole time it's been growing, unbeknownst to you. You've been watering it as you go along. You've been weeding, Lord willing, as you go along. You've been taking care of it little bit by little bit by little bit. And then there's a harvest and you've got this most amazing sweet potato ever. That's how growth and grace works. Over a long period of time, by continuing to pursue Jesus, there will be fruit in our lives. Our students, we, uh, we were able to go for the first time since we've been in Bruton, actually, since we were given some tickets this year, we got to go to graduation. Uh, for T.R. Miller graduation uh, Wednesday night and uh, it, it, uh, Friday night. And I was thinking about as our students walked by and how they had ended, you know, 13 years in the school system, you know, in test by test. You think one test, then another test, and then you graduate a, uh, a grade, and then all of a sudden you're done. And it seems like such a small thing. There's power in plotting. There really is. There's power in the ordinary, in the ordinary seeking of Jesus on a daily basis. You know, as we think about 
procrastination as believers. I, I, I want to talk about some specific applications. The first, don't, don't procrastinate dealing with sin. Right? If there's some habitual sin that you're uh, struggling with, or if, you're, if you've given yourself over to, don't procrastinate in dealing with it. You know, has, has, has there been something that is increasingly taking hold? You know, as you think about those sweet potatoes, we're really bad at weeding. In fact, we usually just don't. And so the weeds kill out most of our plants. We get some, you know, some growth and some fruit out of them, and then, and then we don't because they're dead. Um, you know, have you allowed the weeds to crowd out your walk with the Lord? Um, come talk to me. You've got a friend of me on this. Right? But don't wait. You know, has alcohol slowly become a problem for you? You know, what, what began as freedom in Christ to enjoy the liberties were given. Jesus drank and made good wine. Best vintage ever, actually. But has it become something you have to have in order to chill out? If you have to have it, let's talk. That's not a good place to be. Right? or some other substance, or pornography, or some other secret sin. Don't, don't tolerate it. Don't procrastinate to deal with it. You know, don't, don't, don't procrastinate in getting help. Um, whatever that looks like in your life, I don't know what you need help with, uh, unless you tell me. Um, do, do, do you need to see a counselor? That's okay. If you can't afford it, the church can help either for your own self or for your marriage or for a relationship or a problem. Don't procrastinate. You know, God, God calls us to live in freedom. And it's a great place to be when you enjoy that freedom, isn't it? For Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Galatians 5 verse 1. You shall know the truth. What, what will the truth do for you? It'll set you free. God has called us to live in freedom. In fact, as one, one of our pastor buddies likes to say, that the doors to your jail cell have already been opened. And the question is, are you still sitting inside of it or not? I like that image. Sometimes we're very content to stay inside the jail cell. And sometimes it takes work to get out of it. But, but, but don't, don't procrastinate. What if, what if a year from now, what if a half a year from now, what if a month from now, you weren't dealing with whatever you're dealing with or to actually talk to somebody? Would that be a great place to be? Don't you yearn for that? Don't you long for that? You know, also, we talk about spiritual growth. It, it, God will get you through anything He calls you to, period. But you can get through it a lot easier if you've grown spiritually up until that point. I think about Miss Betty Campbell, perhaps one of the godliest people I've ever met. And she has many struggles right now, many challenges in life. And y'all, when you go and see her, you wouldn't think it. And she's not pretending. She's not. She just has that deep walk with Jesus. And you know what she's been doing? She's been pursuing Jesus for decades. One day at a time. Don't you want that kind of fruit in your life? I do. I want to be just like Miss Betty when I get her age. You know, there's intimacy with Christ when we don't procrastinate. There's joy in the Lord when we don't procrastinate. Don't put off the Lord. Don't put off growing with him. If you need help figuring out what that looks like, come talk to me. Let's talk. I'd love to. But it's not hard. It's pursue the Lord and his word in prayer and in church. That's, it's pretty simple. 
lot harder to put in practice, isn't it? Is there something in your, in your own walk with the Lord you're putting off? Start over today. God is the God of second, third, fourth, hundredth, millionth chances. He's not done with you. His grace hasn't run out. What about you? Will you put it off one more day? If you're not a believer, I beg you, don't put off surrendering to God today. Come see me, call me, text me, show up at my house. Don't be embarrassed. Let's talk. If you are a believer, you know, the thing is we have a life ahead of us, not just in this world, but also in eternity. Don't you want to know Jesus better when he comes? We will know better. We will know better. And I think we'll continue to learn. I think we'll continue to grow in Christ, even in heaven. And you all look forward to that day when Christ returns and we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. May he come soon. Let's pray. So come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus, change this world, change our hearts, change us. While we are waiting, come. With power and glory, come. Savior, come. Jesus, Lord Emmanuel, while we are waiting, come. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, if you'll